If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk TNT Radio. From the Rocky Mountains of Denver, Colorado, my name is Charlie Robinson. Thanks for hanging out with me for the next hour. If you want to connect with me directly, you can do so via email, charlierobinson at tntradio.live. You can go to my new website if you'd like, macroaggressions.io is the place to do that. You can follow me there. Um, Let's start, shall we, with some headlines for today, Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. Zero Hedge reports, Trump rips Austin for improper professional conduct and dereliction of duty after secretive hospital stay. I don't know if you saw the headlines, but um, Secretary of Offense Lloyd Raytheon Austin was in the hospital for the last couple of days. Didn't tell his boss, just disappeared, just up and vanished. I'm sure he's fully boosted. I'm sure he was wearing 18 masks um, and he's probably going to be fine. And he's probably not going to get any in any real trouble with this, I would assume, because his boss's brain is made out of Swiss cheese and he's probably already forgotten this. That is, if he ever even knew it in the first place. From Gateway Pundit, CNN's first electoral map projection of 2024 shows Trump position to win the election. Wow, it's It's almost as if the entire country knows this as well as the Biden administration and that they're trying to lock up uh, Joe Biden's political rival. But that couldn't possibly be happening because that would make us a banana republic. If you like, um, by the way, if you want to go check out the new logo for my macroaggressions podcast, speaking of banana republics, you'll see what I mean. It's strangely fitting for this entire fiasco. And from Activist Post. Silver is underpriced given supply and demand dynamics. Now, I'm not licensed to give financial advice. I am licensed to give real estate advice and have been doing so for a quarter of a century. However, we got to talk about silver, industrial demand up, consumer demand up, consumer fears up, price always seems to just tread water and go nowhere. That is because it is being artificially manipulated. That's not my opinion on the situation. That's a measurable fact. The LIBOR, COMEX, Forex, all of these marketplaces have been rigged by the banks. They have been found guilty in courts of law for their criminal behavior and have paid fines. The reason why the silver price is treading water is because it's being manipulated by the paper silver market. And that, unfortunately, is a fact. So get yourself some silver if you want to make it through the zombie apocalypse in one piece. And finally, from Zero Hedge, Atlanta Trump prosecutor accused of secret disqualifying romance with District Attorney Fannie Willis. Oh, boy. All right on schedule. Why is it? Why is it that everybody that is trying to prosecute Donald Trump is a bunch of shady grifters and have a terminal case of Trump derangement syndrome? It seems like they just cannot help themselves. What has happened in this situation is that the prosecutor 
of the trial of of the the trial was going on in Atlanta to to I guess put Donald Trump under the prison. I'm not really sure. Um, this prosecutor Nathan Wade gets a contract to try this case, even though he has no experience trying felonies and he's and 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 certainly doesn't have any experience with RICO cases, which is racketeering influence uh, cr criminal enterprise uh, organization. This is a extremely complicated component of law and this guy has no experience doing it but there's even more to the story than that the day after prosecutor nathan wade was given this contract an unusual contract by everybody's standards he um he immediately divorced his wife the next day and then started a relationship probably beforehand, but just made it official with Fannie Willis in which they went to Napa Valley on trips and went on Royal Caribbean cruises together and Norwegian cruises together, all while spending his money that was given, that was paid by Fulton County while she overpaid him. Now, again, not an opinion that she overpaid him. His payments were the biggest expenditures in her office, not just in 2023, but also in 2022 as well. And finally, what they wound up doing was they invoiced the taxpayers $2,000 in legal fees for having a meeting with the Biden White House so that they could get on the same page about how to railroad his opponent. It's a banana republic. We just don't have the flag for it yet. Hey, if you missed your favorite TNT show or interview, simply listen back when you want. Whenever you want, just visit episodes on the TNT website. We're also on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and TuneIn. Now there is no reason to miss out on anything on TNT. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. According to new scientific research, bottled water contains up to 100 times more pieces of plastic than was previously estimated. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Uh-oh, Ruckus, we've got a problem with the water supply. Say it isn't so, right? This is this is great. I love science, uh, and this is good good science too. Uh, in a way, uh, we don't we don't like what the data has found, but uh, I can see no uh, flaw with the actual science that was used in this case, as opposed to what they did during the pandemic. Uh, of course, scientists and most consumers and thinking persons have long assumed that there were large quantities of tiny little pieces of plastic you can't even see inside our bottles of water, but nobody really knew exactly how many or what kind. Well. Now we do, thanks to science and lasers, if you can believe that. Uh, and it's not good. We're looking at nearly, I mean, close to a quarter million different tiny pieces, 240,000 particles on average in a liter of bottled water. And we're talking nanoplastics here. We're, this was all released in a new paper on Monday in uh, something that I don't necessarily subscribe to, maybe you do if you're a scientist, but it was called Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Um, and they were the ones that discovered this. Uh, now, nanoplastics, uh, by definition, are particles that measure less than one micrometer. I wonder if that could make it through a face mask, probably. Uh, for the past several years, scientists have been looking for microplastics or pieces of plastic that range from one micrometer to half a centimeter in length and found them almost everywhere. 
The tiny shards of plastic have been uncovered in the deepest depths of the ocean, in the frigid recesses of Antarctic sea ice, and in the human placenta. It's everywhere, people. They spill out of laundry machines and hide in soils and wildlife. Microplastics are also in the food we eat and in the water we drink. In 2018, scientists discovered that a single bottle of water contained on average 325 pieces of microplastic. However, researchers at Columbia University have now identified the extent to which nanoplastics also pose a threat. May Wynn, a chemistry professor at Columbia, one of the authors of the new paper, says, quote, whatever microplastic is doing to human health, I will say nanoplastics are going to be more dangerous, end quote. Uh, they've also found uh, microplastics in tap water, but in smaller amounts. Uh, so this groundbreaking study, uh, they found all sorts of fun stuff, uh, not the least of which uh, pieces of PET, polyethylene terephthalite, which is what most plastic water bottles are made of. So that kind of makes sense. Uh, and poly polyamide, a type of plastic that is present in water filters. Researchers hypothesized that this means plastic is getting into the water both from the bottle and from the filtration process. Unfortunately, at this stage of the research, we don't yet know how dangerous the tiny plastics are for human health, but I'm going to take a wild guess. It's no bueno. Um, but yeah, this is really neat. I don't know if you guys are into this kind of stuff. I would suggest checking out the actual uh, research and how they did this. Um, but yeah, we're looking at 240,000, I mean, different types of microplastics, uh, Charlie. That's insane to me. Uh, that's that's a lot. I mean, wow, this is not good. Uh, so folks, um, yeah, there's a heavy price for that bottled water and it's not the price tag at the counter, apparently. What do you think about this one, Charlie? They're turning the frogs gay. Uh, another dollar in the Alex Jones was right tip jar. I mean, this is, he was talking about atrazine, but we're talking about microplastics as well. And the chemicals that are in the water, this is part of, you know, this is only hidden to the extent that we choose not to look for it. But it is out there. The evidence is overwhelming. We've been discussing this for many, many years. It's all, you know, listen, when you're talking about less than a micron, it's hard to, you know, it's there, is it there? I, you know. But but we do this with poisonous gases as well. It doesn't take much. It just takes a little bit. And as, as it accumulates in your body, it starts to have really massive repercussions. So this is dangerous. The fact that they uh, found this in Antarctica as well is is shocking, but also not surprising because we know how far this this stuff gets circulated. It is a crime against humanity that we um, Amer you know, human beings with such great, brilliant brains that we can invent all of these things. We've got to do a better job of taking care of the planet. We've got to take a better job of, of taking care of what we put into the water. This is the stuff that I wish the climate change people would actually focus on because this is what, like you mentioned, this is some, there's some real science going on here, not the imaginary amounts of carbon in the atmosphere that nobody can measure except for the Anthony Fauci of climate change. But, but this is something that really impacts us. We're made of water. We have to have water. It's, imperative that we have water that is uh clean and and what does this do ruckus what did, i wonder did they get into any of the um, i mean is are we at a place where we can even draw any long-term conclusions on this or is all of this information so new 
that we can't even really extrapolate where this is going to take us. Because, you know, as as you said, it, they tried to pass off, oh, well, there's 200 part, you know, 200 different things in, in this or, or, but then you find out there's really more like a quarter of a million different, different particles, different types of chemicals in this. This doesn't seem like it's going to get better anytime soon. Did they, did they give any reason to think that we were headed uh, to a place in which uh, we may just poison our entire water supply on this planet? I think they're 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 alarmed by this is the word I'm going to choose to use here, because, I mean, this is literally the tip of the iceberg because the, this, this is one 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 little research study. Right. So this this involved a small handful of people. They only tested um, three different name brands of bottled water. So there's a hundred million different things to consider here. So I think more research should go into it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, doesn't this mean that maybe there should be an all halt on like selling water inside of plastic bottles until we figure out what the the harmful effects of this is? I mean, I personally like to get spring water and, you know, I do buy it at the store inside of a plastic bottle, but I'm like, what's my option? Am I going to like, I'm going to have to drive myself to the spring and collect it inside of a glass bottle. Are we all going to have to walk to the community? Well, Charlie, in order to start collecting water just to be safe, so there, there, there is a high price to pay for our convenience as as usual. But um, I would suggest that neither you nor I in our lifetime are going to have an answer to this sad mystery. Yeah, and you mentioned the the chemicals turning up in the placentas of of women. That's really, um, boy, you you can extrapolate out where that's going. It's going straight into the baby. And and how you measure these sort of immeasurables is is going to be something that we're going to have to deal with in generations to come. And um, our relationship with with plastics, with chemicals just in general is very tenuous. I mean, on the one hand, like you said, there we, we need them there, there's but there's a price to pay for the convenience of this modern world that we live in. And unfortunately, that might manifest itself in in poor health it might delay cognitive development things like that we've seen the effects of fluoride in the water supply i can only imagine what the effects of chemicals um, over the long term are going to be it's not good uh, but i as always I do appreciate you bringing it to our attention because I'd rather know this and not be caught off guard and have to worry about it than to be living in blissful ignorance where I don't know that there's plastic in my water and that I drink as much as I can because I'm oblivious. So I'd rather know and be a little bit freaked out than not know and 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 live in uh, blissful ignorance. But thanks, Ruckus. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, agreed. Uh, as a famous cartoon once said, knowing is half the battle. Thank you, Charlie. Yes, it is. After the break, we've got the one and only Roger Stone, ladies and gentlemen. And in the second half of the show, stick around and meet Simon Esler. He is the director of Cut Daughters of the West, tackling the transgender medical industry. It's a fascinating uh, movie, and I encourage you to hang out and check it out. We'll be back after this. This is TNT. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive, and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning, but what I cannot get my head around is the worst 
first drug of all, they just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And and I, if, I, I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them, don't get all excited, but I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers' brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2% you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the three or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. You have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them. This is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. My first guest needs no introduction, but he's going to get one anyway. He is a New York Times bestselling author. You might have seen him in the Nixon administration, the Reagan administration, the Trump administration, or maybe you're just watching his show, Stone Zone. You can go to stonezone.com Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only 
Roger Stone. Hey, Roger. It's great to see you. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, last night I felt like the universe was conspiring. Uh, I don't know if it was in favor of me or against me or whatever, but I go to the Daily Mail and the lead story is you. You're in the Daily Mail and there's a conversation between, it's talking about you and your friend Sal Greco. And we had Sal on my show on Friday and I'm reading through this and I'm going, oh, this ought to be good. This ought to be good. No, nobody tells the truth like the Daily Mail. So I wanted to talk to you since we've got you on here. What is this story that they are running about Jerry Nadler and Eric Swallow? Sadly enough, it's it's kind of a non-story. So Mediaite, which is owned by Dan Abrams, the leftist who used to be at MSNBC, contacts me to say that they have but they cannot post or let me listen to an audio of an alleged conversation four years ago between myself and New York police officer Sal Greco, in which we talked about the assassination of Jerry Nadler and Eric Swalwell. And I, of course, said, OK, well, let me let me hear this audio before it too. Well, we can't let you hear it. Well, why don't you post it in the store? Well, we can't post it. I said, well, one of two things are true. Either there is no audio, which is what I believe, because I never said those words. Uh, or they have, which is very cheap and easy, they've created some AI-generated audio, which with a snatch of someone's voice and for a couple hundred bucks, you can do. Uh, but uh, how do you react to something that they won't let you listen to? Uh, this The reporter who wrote it, a woman named Falzone, is a Trump hater. So uh, that's it's really not surprising. Uh, but then, you know, it's like one... Blackbird jumps off the the uh, telephone wire, and then they all jump out. It's all the usual suspects: the Daily Beast, uh, Newsweek, uh, uh, Raw Story. They never call you for comment. That's what real journalists do, by the way. Right. Anytime you print someone's name or something about them, you're supposed to call them for comment. They don't, of course. So they just promulgate a lie. Now the irony of this is, only hours ago. Mediate had a, 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 a story about people being overheard at the courtroom today in D.C. joking about the assassination of Donald Trump. So when people openly joke about the assassination of Trump, Mediate thinks that's entertaining. But when they make false allegations against me over things I never said, oh, well, that's perfectly all right. Here's the point. I'm clickbait, okay? I, I am so uh, polarizing because true Americans and Christians love me uh, and leftists who I've beaten in scores of elections over a 45-year period in American politics hate my guts. So uh, they make money by posting these false allegations against you. Well, it's the mainstream media, and they're, of course, the dirtiest of the dirty. We, we have no respect for them at all. That's the reason why we're on TNT, because we're allowed to talk about the things that we're allowed to talk about. We can talk about anything. We can talk to whoever we want to. And, of course, we would never do something like that to you. But we're not the mainstream corporate whore media. They're dying a slow death, which, of course, they have nobody to blame but themselves because of this. Um, I'm curious, where do you go from here? Is this? A, it's a non-story, of course. But they've made it a story. Do you get your so? Do you pick up the phone, call a lawyer, or how do we do this? Uh, my lawyers are looking at it, and I, I I believe they have defamed me. I mean, first of all, under the law, the bar for defamation is very high because I am quote unquote a public figure. Uh, and when you have a, a daily show, I do a weekend radio show, WABC Radio in New York, 
uh, I'm clearly a public figure. So you can get away with defaming me, you know, to a great degree. But in this case, they're accusing me of something that, if it were true, may or may not have been a crime. Talking about something, doing something. I'm not an attorney, I can't tell you. But they clearly defamed me, and I'm prepared to bring a legal action if there's a viable legal action to bring. Uh, but the larger issue here that I think people need to focus on is the extraordinary danger of the use of AI. Uh, it, you can now inexpensively and seamlessly make videos and audios of people saying and doing things that they never really said or did. Uh, first time I saw this and was shocked by it, somebody uh, made a video of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in which he says he wished he had never run for president uh, and he was begging the president for forgiveness. Uh, putting aside the substance of it, it was really convincing. In other words, if I didn't know it wasn't real, I would have thought it was real. There's a there's a documentary out from these Danish left-wing filmmakers where they've extensively used AI to put words in my mouth. Uh, they also leaked videos uh, to the January 6th committee where they match up an audio that I think they created with a visual that isn't the same as it is in their movie. So uh, it's a... Uh, it's very it's it's a slippery slope and it's very dangerous. Uh, as I think the Wall Street Journal said not not long ago, you can't necessarily believe what you see with your own eyes and you hear yeah. with your own ears. We're moving into a very weird uh, area, a very an interesting paradigm where the ability to control the media has never been easier. We've, we're going to take a quick one minute break. We'll be back in, on the other side with Roger Stone. TNT Radio News. Big news. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. In a recent legal filing, Michael Roman, a co-defendant in the Georgia 2020 election interference case involving former U.S. President Donald Trump, leveled serious accusations against Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis and Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade. Myanmar's military forces carried out air attacks on Canaan Village. This assault resulted in the tragic loss of at least 20 lives, including six children, with 30 more people suffering severe injuries. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. We're back with Roger Stone. Roger, you've mentioned 45 years of being involved in elections. Uh, you know an election when you see one. We're coming up on one at the end of this year. We're seeing dirty tricks being played to keep Donald Trump off of the ballots. They're clearly terrified of them, uh, of his entire administration coming back into form. But it seems like all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, almost out of nowhere, there was a pivot towards Nikki Haley. Is she the deep state's choice to carry the torch after the Biden administration is done? Because, boy, she was nowhere. And then all of a sudden she's everywhere and they desperately want us to believe that she's popular. And yet I don't know anybody that would even want to go out and have coffee with her. What's going on with Nikki Haley? Uh, look, she's Dick Cheney in heels. You know, she is a, she is the she is the candidate of the neocon uniparty. Uh, she thinks the most important thing for America to do today is to ship billions more to Ukraine. 
uh, there are 370,000 homeless veterans in the United States. Could we please get them housing before we ship billions more to Ukraine? Uh, she is uh, she is uh, propped up mostly by Democrat and, and uh, neocon money. Uh, I find it particularly odious that this guy Reed uh, uh, Hoffman, Hoffman. Uh, who is uh, the guy who financed the false defamation lawsuit against Donald Trump by this wackadoodle uh, E. Jean Carroll, who claims that he sexually assaulted her 30 years ago. Uh, is a major, this guy Hoffman visited Epstein's Island numerous times. He's a leftist Democrat, but now suddenly he's loading millions into Nikki Haley. So Nikki Haley's not a conservative. She's not a Christian, although she pretends to be one. She's she's a Hindu. I respect that. But don't pretend to be a Christian if you're not a Christian. Uh, she's 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 really dangerous. This is the Uniparty's candidate. Uh, there's a high probability that she will uh, come in a distant second in the Iowa caucuses about a week from now. And when that happens, mark my words, headline, Haley beats DeSantis in Iowa upset, subheadline, Trump comes in first as expected. Watch for it. Right. Yeah, that reminded me of of when I watched an MSNBC poll uh, uh, several many many years ago, and it, they were saying you know, so this person was first, this person was second, this person was fourth, this person was fifth, and they completely pretended like Ron Paul wasn't running, and they just skipped the number altogether. I would envision them doing the same thing for Donald Trump uh, with with Iowa, pretending like he's not even there. But they can only do that for so long because that is a guy that sucks up all the air out of the room. He walks in. Everybody recognizes that he's there. He's almost impossible to destroy, although they're trying to. My question, I wonder, as this, as we get towards uh, the middle of summer and we have to make some decisions on who is going to be his running mate as vice president, is there a scenario that you can envision in which Vivek uh, decides that he's stepping aside from running for president and joining forces with Donald Trump. Is that somebody that he would want, that Trump would want? Uh, first of all, I like Vivek a lot, uh, and I've come around. In the beginning, I had a certain skepticism about him based on some things I had read, but I'm convinced now having watched him perform under pressure uh, and noticing his courage about bringing up issues that no one else will talk about, uh, and the fact that he talks about ideas. I like his commitment to conservative ideas and his direct challenge to the globalists. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I don't, uh, there, I think there is a legal question about his eligibility. Uh, as I understand it, although he was born in the United States, neither of his parents were U.S. citizens. There is a legal argument uh, that that does not meet the natural born citizen requirement in the Constitution. I'm not saying that he's not. I'm not saying that he's ineligible. I'm just saying it's a legitimate question. Uh, I also think that no one uh, who has never held public office, uh, Trump is a unique phenomenon. Trump ran a billion-dollar business industry, uh, whereas uh, I, I think uh, Vivek would be great in a Trump cabinet. He'd be a great Secretary of Commerce. He'd be great uh, for a number of key positions. Uh, but I, I don't think he is your logical running mate. Now, that leads to the obvious question about who should the president choose? First of all, I've talked briefly to the president about this, and he's not prepared to talk about it. Uh, if he has a short list, it's known only to him. 
His total focus right now is on winning Iowa, winning New Hampshire, winning Nevada, and winning South Carolina. Then he will turn to the question uh, of who should be his running mate. Uh, that's smart because you have to see how that process goes to determine what kind of person beyond the qualifications uh, is right for the ticket. Uh, I, those who are saying, oh, we're going to have a Trump Nikki Haley ticket. I think that there is zero chance of that. Zero chance. That is a, that is a, 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 a piece of disinformation being pushed very hard by the agents of DeSantis uh, to try to uh, salvage that dumpster fire of a campaign. Uh, but uh, the president has, I don't think she makes a short list. He has no such plan. Uh, frankly, I think he's still sore about the fact that Nikki looked him in the eye and said, if you run, I definitely am not running. And now she's running. I mean, yeah. I, I, I understand. That I think this is accurate. The president uh, resents the fact that he lifted Ron DeSantis out of political obscurity, that he that his endorsement catapulted this unknown congressman who was underfunded and struggling in the race for governor to the Republican nomination. And then Trump himself changed his schedule in the final uh, two weeks of 2018 uh, to come to Florida three times and drag DeSantis over the finish line by a hair. But at least Ron didn't lie to him. I think he he felt betrayed. But at least Ron never said, "Well, I'm I'm never going to I'm going to support you. I'm not going to run against you." Whereas in Nikki Haley's case, she just lied to his face. That speaks to character. Put aside her 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 neocon adventurism and the fact that she never saw a foreign war she didn't like. Uh, and the fact that they're antithetically so different, particularly on foreign policy. We get to the end of this year. We have what is known as the October surprise. Boy, it's always it's always fun to speculate on this. What comes out of the deep state vending machine this year in October? What are you projecting? You know, it's it's since we've already seen a phony pandemic in this country, uh, since we since we have already seen us. Uh, rushing towards the possibility of World War III uh, in the Ukraine-Russia conflict, since we see the Biden administration essentially financing both sides of the war in Israel, uh, funneling hundreds of billions of dollars in previously frozen assets to the Iranians so they can finance Hamas and Hezbollah. At the same time, we're supposed to be supporting our traditional ally Israel, who I support, uh, anything is, is possible. These people are capable of anything. Uh, we talked about assassination at the beginning of the show. I pray every night for the safety of Donald Trump and his family because he is an existential threat to the established order. He's an existential threat to the status quo. He's an existential threat to the globalist plan to basically cancel the Constitution uh, and uh, turn us all into serfs. He is, uh, he is, as I like to say, there are times in American history when the future of the republic depended on one man. George Washington was one case. Abraham Lincoln was one case. Now Donald Trump, uh, that is true of him today. So uh, I, they're, they're prepared to do anything. The idea that we would charge a former president for the crime of questioning the outcome of an election is unthinkable. Uh, but having lived through the Mueller witch hunt uh, and the attempt to destroy me uh, when I didn't do anything wrong. No, I was not a Russian spy. No, I didn't. I was not a middleman for WikiLeaks. None of that was proved. So they they jam you up 
on some fabricated crime, in my case, to try to pressure me to testify falsely against Trump, which I refuse to do. These people are capable of doing anything whatsoever. Another pandemic, uh, uh, a, uh, a false flag uh, terrorist attack on American interests on American soil. I pray that none of these things happen, but anything's possible. Well, as the Chinese proverb says, may you live in interesting times. And as they also say, that might be a curse. That's Roger Stone, everybody. If you want to check him out, go to stonezone.com and follow his work. Check out his show Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern. Thanks, Roger. We'll see you next, next time. God bless you. After the break, we'll be back with Simon Esler. This is TNT. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. The country has been prolonged for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution, and we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit, and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Uh, okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. But remember, there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Uh, okay. And around the world for any animal, any disaster. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Today's conversation, Charlie Robinson on today's news talk, TNT Radio. TNT Radio. We are back with my final guest. He is the director of Cut, Daughters of the West. You can check that out at daughtersofthewestfilm.com or his work with Free Thought Media. Ladies and gentlemen, Simon Essler. Hey, Simon. It's great to see you again. How are you? I'm well. It's good to see you too, man. Really glad to be here. Well, I wish we weren't talking about this particular topic that you made your film about. I wish we didn't need to. But unfortunately, we live in reality, and this is the current paradigm that we're experiencing, and that is that there has been a massive agenda. It's undeniable at this point. It might have been early on, but an agenda towards transitioning children from one gender to another at frankly, at any age, it's barbaric, but at an earlier and earlier time, you took the initiative and went out and directed a fantastic film about this. Can we talk a little bit about how you wound up coming into uh, this particular topic and, and how you wound up getting the film made? Absolutely. So, you know, prior to Cut, I had been studying the war on the family. Uh, I had been looking at the ways in which... Um, Different forms of communist ideological subversion were being used in the West in modern versions of communism, but communism nonetheless, to uh, disrupt the family unit uh, and that this seemed to be aimed towards reordering power in the world. Uh, I had made a series called Superorganism that is a six-part docuseries focused on that. And when I was looking into the war on the family, uh, what I understood to be true was 
that there were operations targeting the mother, operations targeting the father, and operations targeting the children. And the deeper I looked into what was being used to attack the children, the more I came up against a form of neo-Marxism that uses identity politics and queer theory um, and transgender ideology more broadly um, to really infiltrate children's capacity to develop a relationship with themselves. After making Superorganism, I found myself with a big, deep rabbit hole that didn't fit into that series. And the more I went into it, the more I found out that this was uh, primarily affecting girls, preteen and teenage girls. And uh, it seemed to be deeply connected with the demoralization of the Western world. And so I ended up developing Cut from this broad perspective. Um, while the film doesn't directly address communist warfare, uh, the truth is that one of the major aspects of communist warfare discussed by Yuri Bezmenov, communist defector in the 1980s, was this idea of communist ideological subversion. And he talks about demoralization being one of the primary stages of this. So Cut really examines deeply what the demoralization of the Western world has specifically done to preteen and teenage girls. And so that includes the massive explosion of girls transitioning in addition to all the girls uh, the ex exponential number of girls getting breast augmentations and labiaplasties and other kinds of cosmetic surgery as well yeah this is not an accident it's not a fad it's being made to happen by some people that understand how these projects work and that they take a long uh, period of time when we're talking about Yuri Bezmenov and ideological subversion and the four steps towards that, he lays it out pretty pretty clearly. The demoralization campaign takes between 15 and 20 years. And that you take an entire generation of, of people and the, the amount of time it takes for them to go through the schooling system, you can remake their ideology into something that is a little bit more ideologically aligned with, with uh, Marxism. And it sounds you know, like a bunch of conspiracy theorists talking about their ideas and things. When you talk about this, I always encourage people to go back and find those G. Edward Griffin, uh, Yuri Bezmenov interviews. And you'll know you found the right one because they look like they're, uh, you know, they look like they're on their way to Studio 54 because they're all 70s doubt. And you and you hear these, th this concept of ideological subversion and how it takes this long and you, and, and you know, and I'm sure when that interview was being conducted, it all seemed very theoretical and out into the future. Well, the time frame in which he gave has come and gone. And we've seen the results of the demoralization phase, the destruction phase, the crisis phase, and then ultimately the normalization phase. <clears throat> and and, and I, my fear is that fourth part, right, Simon, the, the normalization component of this. He talks about this in his interviews where he said, well, we had a, an incident in, the, in Czechoslovakia and we rolled in tank, tanks and put tanks on every corner and they asked, how is the situation there now? And he said, our response is, it has been normalized. So whether there's actual tanks on every corner or a proverbial tank, the the concept of normalizing this behavior seems very dangerous to me and like a slippery slope is that the is that the point of it all is that if they can get these kids young then by the time they're our age they will this will have been the only life they've ever lived and, and have only known a world in which you have to give your pronouns before the teacher will call on you absolutely and and the normalization aspect also has to do 
with uh, the degradation of our social fabric so that relations cannot be maintained. You know, I was in an interview yesterday where, um, you know, a, a friend of mine was talking about how he tried to get a trans activist to come on his show to discuss these ideas and to represent this alleged movement of, uh, you know, the, the trans revolution. And right before the interview, this person reached out to him and said, I'm sorry, I can't do the interview because I'm afraid I might misrepresent the movement and have my friends and, and um, fellow compatriots attack me. So that's even the case within the social clusters that are trying to uphold these ideologies. The capacity to maintain relationships is so degraded um, because everyone has to do so many different kinds of mental gymnastics to look at themselves, to look at others. And I believe this is a major part of it that is done on purpose as well. Um, you know, you have the theories of people like Paulo Freire. He was a Brazilian neo-Marxist, and these are being injected into the public school classrooms en masse. And one of the main concepts he promotes um, in his theories is that you teach children that they are at the same time the oppressed and the oppressor, and that in every inst instance, they have to constantly analyze to what extent are they oppressed and to what extent are they the, the oppressor? This is instigating a form of mental illness. No one should be living in their head when they're trying to relate. In fact, this is a form of disembodiment, if you ask me. We need to be embodied and present in our relationships. And I believe this is a big part of it. Um, the other aspect of the normalization here has to do with fifth generation warfare. And this is um, where warfare has evolved to the point that it is embedded in our everyday lives. And so we are constantly surrounded by psychological operations. Um, this is a big part of life in the digital domain. That's a normalization aspect as well. You know, We've had to live in a world where constant warfare is normalized. Um, so all of this plays into how we process our daily experience and how we raise our children. Um, so you know, for us as a family, the response from the beginning was to not have our children in the public school We've gone the way of unschooling um, as, as, a, as a solution, and it has been pretty effective, but it is quite a bit of work, and it's a big change for a lot of parents. Well, I think you know a lot of parents will say, well, my, my kid doesn't have to worry about trans stuff. They're not trans. They're not involved in this. Okay, fine. You'll get it. They'll get it one way or another. But what about critical race theory? You just mentioned this, this victim or oppressor mentality. You, you're either one or the other. What if you're just a good kid? What if you're not a victim and you're certainly not an oppressor? Well, according to Ibram X. Candy, who's a World Economic Forum young global leader and the, the driving force behind critical race theory, you have to pick a side. Right. You have to pick a side. You're a seven year old kid. You you've never been mean to anybody in your life. But now all of a sudden they're saying, well, are you victimized? Well, no, I said it lunch with the cool kids. Well, then you must be an oppressor, right? You have to choose one or the other. And what is the psychological toll that this has on a child, right? When they know that they don't, they're not in either of those categories, they're not, but but they're being forced by their peers or maybe even by the administration themselves to pick a team and uh, and then play the rest of this out. Is this causing some sort of cognitive dissonance on the part of the of the kid? Are they start? Are we starting to see uh, kids that are acting out because they don't know how to express themselves with this new paradigm? What are you seeing? Yeah, a hundred percent. There are kids acting out in various different ways. There's a number of different manifestations this can take on. One of the ones that I address in cut quite explicitly 
is the drastic increase in preteen girls being hospitalized because they're cutting themselves. Uh, this is an entirely new phenomenon. Preteen girls were not cutting themselves until now. Some of this has to do with the introduction of social media and how that affects girls in um, the adolescent and pre-adolescent years of development. So some of it results in immense self-harm. Um, they turn against themselves. But of course, the other way that this manifests is that they turn against their parents. Um, and this is uh, the intention. This is um, old school communist warfare to um, use ideological influ um, influence to cause children to see their parents as too traditional, too religious, um, you know, too conservative. So that the result is that the, the children no longer trust their parents. They see them as upholding a system of oppression. And the result is that they feel they have no choice but to become revolutionaries that stand against their parents. Um, and, you know, there's something that's being played into here. There is always a natural progression in new generations to sort of push back against the old ways and find new ways. Some of that is healthy and natural. But when there is a form of communist uh, ideological subversion in the classroom that's so extreme that tells children there is a white, uh, cisnormative, heteronormative, patriarchy that is oppressing everyone, then naturally the children are going to believe that gender nonconformity is a good way to fight back against that. It makes that idea more popular within these social clusters, which again is why, as I addressed in my film Cut, in clusters of girls, the prevalence of girls who identify as trans is so high, even in the social clusters themselves, you'll have groups of six and 12 girls where all of them identify as trans, and that's because of the, the combination of this ideological, psychological warfare and the extent to which girls and frankly teens in general rely on their social clusters to develop a sense of themselves and the society around them. Boy, this is so diabolical. It reminds me of like um, Mao, you know, the Mao's Red Book or or the Khmer Rouge or, you know, you or, or child soldiers in Africa. You know, you point to your which one of your parents, you know, if you disassociate the child from their parents, they still seek that a relationship with an authority. They just replace it with the state. Is that the isn't that right? Isn't that what they do instead? It replace it with the yes. state or, or or with, and so if you're if you're a group that can't reproduce and you cut because of you just sex, sexually can't reproduce, there aren't enough of you. You're mutilating your bodies. You're doing this. You you have to constantly be recruiting new members, right? So so is that part of this plan? Is to to to, to cut that bond between the children and their parents and then reestablish that with the state instead? 100%. You know, one of the best ways I found to look at this is that uh, you want to understand why the family unit is a threat to this reordering of power in the world. So my understanding is that there is a globalist initiative here that is utilizing communist warfare so that, um, you know, the extent to which communism degrades nationalism, a sense of national identity and national pride and national unity, um, when that occurs, you create a power vacuum where the power of nation states once resided, this avails globalist influence to step into that power vacuum. Now, you can't really do that if you have families that are generating not just children, but legacies. And I believe family legacy is one of the primary reasons 
it's necessary for this modern warfare operation to attack the family unit because when you have strong family legacies, this gives people the capacity to develop forms of wisdom and intelligence that exist entirely outside of the influence of the government, you know, state influence of the media, of the public schooling system. And so family legacy, because it can survive through the generations outside of those different controlled forms of influence, they have to attack the family. Um, and, and I really believe that the family, the family unit is deeply designed to generate legacies on levels that you know we, we often don't honor or recognize. This is something that I look deeply into in my superorganism series. Um, I, th I think that's what we're looking at here. And so they want to cut off the child from any kind of family legacy, whether that's legacies just based on like how to live happily, how to live a sovereign life, or whether it's spiritual or religious legacies. All of that is a threat to this current operation. I'm going to suggest that people watch your 15 minute video called Canada's Red Shadow. And you don't have to be Canadian to appreciate this. It's just a very logical, quick 15 minute video that people can have an understanding of what cultural Marxism is. You put it in a, in a nice little neat package. I wonder about this uh, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI component. It feels like communism rebranded. It feels like it's got some of the same sales pitches behind it. Oh, we're all gonna be equal. We're gonna get rid of all the people that were, that were oppressing you and stomping. It all sounds you know nice i suppose but it's like a uh, like a timeshare sales pitch for global communism just decorated a little bit differently so uh i am concerned about this i'm concerned that um children are going to grow up it's tough enough to be a kid growing up in this world and then you have to add on all of these uh, additional things to 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 their learning it just seems to be overwhelming um simon you're always working on cool stuff what are you working on next where, where are we going from here i've got a number of things on the go so um specifically in addressing the family legacy concept i have a new project called legacy keepers and this is actually a project for parents and for families um, to utilize two different things to help cultivate uh, strong family legacies. One is to utilize the archetype of the hero's journey, and the other is to utilize rites of passage. And I really believe that rites of passage um, is, is a very, very practical tool to combat what is going on. When I was making Cut, I actually realized that the stages of the gender affirmative model, they precisely imitate all the stages of a rite of passage. And so wow. uh, I think that's important. So I have my Legacy Keepers project. I have a couple of courses that people can also get at daughtersofthewestfilm.com. And I'm working on a new docuseries called Entrenched that looks at the evolution of modern warfare. That's Simon Esler, everyone. Check out his work, support his projects. And thanks to Roger Stone, who was our guest in the first part. I'll be back tomorrow with you, 2 p.m. Eastern. Take care, everybody. See you soon.